0: Let's start by reading our text. We're going to start and just do a little bit of overlap from where we were last week and moving along. So we'll start in verse 18, which kind of comes to the from the end of James's speech, and then we're going to move through the uh, the remainder of the council here in Jerusalem. So Acts chapter 15, verse 18 it says, "Known to God from eternity are all His works." Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are in the, of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they, had, uh, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, And when they had gathered the multitude together they delivered the letter when they had read it they rejoiced over its encouragement now judas and silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words and after they had stayed there for a time they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles paul and barnabas also remained in antioch teaching and preaching the word of the lord with many others also. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our opportunity to come to your word and to learn, to grow, to see the big picture. As James said, for all eternity. As we see its great purpose and great end. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning that we've just read, I think anyone who grew up with siblings or who, you know, who had more than one, one child uh, will understand the spirit of this passage. Um, we, all, we all know as we watch siblings relate to one another that they are experts in knowing how to annoy one another. They know just what bush- buttons to push to get the other one going and how they will respond. So they haven't. How many times have you said as parents, just stop annoying your brother or your sister? It comes out well uh, countless times in our day, our house, um, with the way they they interact. In Acts 15, um, the the first part of this relationship, the first part of the the counsel that comes along here establishes the family relationship so between the Jews who are in Jerusalem and the church there and and those throughout well particularly Antioch but beyond that the Gentiles the first part which we looked at last week established that common ground that relationship of family in Jesus Christ apart from the law the law plays no part so now as we come into this second part of the council with the letter and and what goes out Now we're talking about how to care for that relationship. So now the relationship has been established, what is at the core and the base of it, that it is Jesus Christ alone. How do we interact as brothers and sisters in Christ who come from such different backgrounds, where, where things like this issue of the law can come and bring division? So it's kind of like here, the Jews writing a letter to them and saying, look, just don't annoy your brothers. And let's do this. It's helping us understand the family relationship, how to keep peace and unity in the house of God and the people of God. The common ground of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone is the bedrock of that. It is the foundation of that that's been established. So now we're talking about fellowship. How do we fellowship? Like the common bond of salvation, there is a common ground in the fellowship of believers, how we unite to one another. And it's established in this council that the law, that good works and, and all those things, they even a change of life isn't necessary for salvation. So you don't need any of that. You don't need to present a good sacrifice to god so that he'll accept you for salvation in any way none of that is is needed but rather while we don't have to change our lives to come to salvation what is being established here is also that salvation will result in a changed life that it will result in a life which seeks peace and goodness between our brothers and sisters in christ is We're not living to keep the law, but in love, give glory to God alone, as he deserves. So our main theme last week, as we looked at the first part of this, was that salvation is in Christ alone. And that continues naturally through this to see the next great truth of Scripture, one of the great truths of all of time, we are saved in Christ alone for the glory of God, Alone. So how can the glory of God be shown in our life? How can that come out? There is, of course, much that can be said. And through the years, we have said a great deal on this topic about the glory of God, what it means to live for God's glory, what it is. And so there is a whole lot that we could say on this. But today we want to consider just two areas that relate to this passage. Uh, as we see and draw them out. And I'm sure there are more things we could take out in this regard, but I want to narrow it down to just two main ideas here that we see in this passage about how we can live for the glory of God, having been saved in Christ alone. And so the first of my thoughts this morning is this, as we look at the beginning, for the glory of God in our worship. The glory of God in our worship. Verse 19 says, Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Jews who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Uh, That same principle or that same instruction is repeated in verse 29, those instructions about what the, the Jews of Jerusalem are asking the Gentiles to follow. Now, for some, that may seem a little confusing we have just read and we've just gone through the first portion of this council in jerusalem where they have established that salvation has nothing to do with the law you don't need to keep the law the the law is ended in jesus christ so it bears no burden on the believer so we've just gone through all of that so what seems a little confusing here is now why are they asking him to follow the law say well we don't want they don't have to follow the law but let's write to them that they follow these four aspects of the law how are how are believers of such different backgrounds supposed to have fellowship and that's where we're getting down to here and it comes to this place one of the great truths that Jesus talked to us about as we we saw this take place through the first part of Acts chapter 15, and it plays out further here. The two great commandments that God gives is to love God above all and then to love So the glory of God in worship begins with a love for God, to love God above all else. So what we have here when we read the Jerusalem church writing to the the Gentiles and saying, look, we don't expect you to follow anything else. But here are four things. These four things we we lay out Uh, rather than giving a binding law for them to follow. What we see here is rather an agreement, an agreement based in mutual love and respect. An agreement that comes between Jews and Gentiles on the basis of our love for God. It boils down to this thought, really, as they give these instructions to the Gentiles. It's really coming down to this one main thought, that is, that we need to worship God purely. And that's where these four things particularly come to, to speak to us about worshipping God purely. We could, as we look at these things listed here, we could go back to the Old Testament and see their place in Israel's law and in Israel's society. Leviticus 17 says significant portion on these particular issues, and we could go back and look at that and work through and see how it, uh, it all plays out and, and what it was there for. But in what we're doing here, those, those details and how these things fit into the law really aren't relevant. It's not the law aspect of it which makes these things so powerful and so important in the text here. What makes these relevant is how the law, these things particularly here, set Israel apart from other nations. And that was a major part of what the law was. It was to set Israel apart from the others in their worship of God. And so these four things, which are listed in verse twenty and verse twenty-nine, these things seem to have particular reference to how we worship. These things and how we worship; these were were issues which were most clearly they they most clearly separated the worship of Jews and Gentiles. So, in in uh, the worship of Gentiles and and the pagan world, so those outside of of Israel who were worshiping other gods, the Romans and the Greeks and and the others, as you, you see constantly through Acts and further through. The worship of these gods who were not the God of Israel was typically surrounded by gross immorality. And that's what the Gentiles were used to seeing in worship. They saw a worship of their deities and their gods, which often involved things which were not morally pure. The meat, so one of the issues here is about eating meat polluted by the idols or offered to idols. The meat was offered to the gods as a way to gain favour. So it would give that, you know, expensive meat to the men. There was some belief that when the meat was offered to the gods that the deities or the demons would attach themselves to that meat. And it became very much a part of the worship because it now contained some form of deity or demon attached to that meat. That meat was then offered to the gods in that temple, whoever it may have been. And whatever was left over of the meat that was sacrificed was then taken and sold in the marketplaces of the towns and the cities. And so for some, and we'll, we'll see here in a moment, even some of the Gentiles, to eat that meat because of the connotations it had, because of the relationships it had to uh, pagan worship, became a bit of an issue for people in seeing that. The temples of the pagan gods were often filled with what were called priestesses, but they were essentially just religious prostitutes. So morality was not high on the list and high in the things of, of pagan worship and the worship among the Gentiles. There were also rituals that would go through uh, these places which involved drinking the blood of the animals and things like that, and that brings us a little bit to the blood. But blood had a very, uh, a very high place of honour amongst Israel and amongst the, the people of God because it held a, a special significance blood for israel was a sign of life it was a sign of redemption and so back in leviticus uh, chapter 10 says for the life of the flesh is in the blood and i have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is in the blood that makes atonement for your souls it was a representation of life and forgiveness and atonement So these things that the the Jews ask the Gentiles to do in their letter are requests about worship, what worship looks like, how worship should be pure and honourable. See, while... ...finding effect over believers, because it was the Old Testament law fulfilled in in Christ, what it did do for the Jews, though... knowledge of god that nations did not have so as the, the jews and as israel pursued god and in their various stages of obedience and disobedience they had the law they knew the law which meant as they knew that they knew it was an expression of who god was and what god expected and what he desired of people so that was an advantage the law gave israel over all the other nations they had an expression of what god was like and what he expected so now as we come to the christian era and the jews begin to get saved and the gentiles begin to get saved the jews still have this advantage to them as they enter into the worship of god and and jesus christ and what salvation is brought they also have this path behind them of what god is like something that the gentiles don't yet possess the law may not bind But it does not, the fact that it doesn't bind doesn't change the nature of God. Worship of God must be pure. We need to worship God purely. We also need to worship God sincerely. Some may look at the request and say that they are trying to bind again. But these are not what is happening here, they are given in the spirit of worship. Note that these are the only things that they ask them to do. So in what the, the Jews ask the Gentiles to follow, it doesn't include circumcision, which was the big issue before and various parts of the law. It doesn't include any of that. Only these things. These are the only things that they ask them to follow with reason. There is actually then great freedom in the results of this council. As this council puts this all together and they come to their understanding and then they put out with with these four things here, there is great freedom. No requirement is made that worship should look the same in all places. They are not saying to the Gentiles, Gentiles, your worship must look like Jewish worship. Your worship and your church must look like the church at Jerusalem. There was no binding on that, that at every church that was planted, it must look the same. It must be the same. Within the goal of giving God glory and worshipping him in holiness, there is freedom. It looks different in different places, just as this church looks different around because of who we have and who we, we are. Every church It's different. There is great freedom within the glory of God. We must worship God in truth, holding tightly to the the truth that we worship him and do that in sincerity. There is a glorious freedom in giving God glory in our worship. We see this and we can give God glory in our worship by loving God and giving him pure worship. But we also see the glory of God come in worship, not just by loving God, but by following the second great commandment, which is to love people, to seek the good of believers. I think that idea is right throughout this whole decision to seek the good of the believers through the letter and through what goes on. We see in three places in verse 22, verse 25 and verse 28, the phrase it seemed good to us is repeated. Which gives the the nature of the letter. That is, we're looking for the good in this. We're looking for what is good and prosperous. This spirit runs through the entire passage. It is genuine love and humility that is present here. See, which is important, right? Because this whole thing began tense. The the trouble arose. We saw how how deeply and how. Uh, not, not violently, but vigorously, Paul defended this and stood up for this. At one point, whether at this time or just previous to it, Paul and Peter are even arguing very fiercely about this. So it started very tense and, and very controversial and, and easily dividing. But here, as we come and we get to the letter, what is running through this whole letter is humility and love for one another. We want to heal whatever is here dividing, whatever is causing problems. There is a great exercise of liberty in a godly manner. The Jews say to the Gentiles, these things, these practices, they offend us. They offend us because we who we know of God. So please refrain. And the Gentiles oblige. So we understand. There's a similar thing that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We talk about liberty and and how we live in light of one another and, and our understanding of God and scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says in verse 1, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. Therefore, concerning the the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge." For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience becoming weak, eat. Are we better? Nor, if we do not eat, are we the worse. But beware, lest anyone, lest somehow, this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble could believers eat this meat that was offered to idols yes yes they could as paul says here it's it's just meat these are just empty idols it's it means nothing you can eat it doesn't make you better if you don't eat it doesn't make you worse can a believer eat the meat yes if it is going to offend a brother and sister in christ should a believer eat it no 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 Exercise your freedom in love. Just consider who are you in front of. Consider who you are uh, uh, in the, the company of. Romans 14 says the same thing and gives a, a very similar principle here. In, in Romans 14, and verse 12 and 13, he says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That's the principle at stake here. That's the principle. In love, I do not want to put anything in front of my brother or sister in Christ that is going to cause them issue in their growth in Jesus Christ. I'm going rather to stoop down to their level and help bring them up. Teach and encourage I'm not going to put a stumbling block in front of them for what may be a cause of trouble in their life. It says in verse 29 of our text in Acts 15, they say at the end of their letter, if you do this, you will do well. That is, you will live well. You will prosper. If you follow these gu- guidelines, you will prosper. So does that mean then that if they follow these guidelines and they prosper in this life, that, and that God will be glorified? Does that mean that we need to rigidly keep these rules to prosper and to give God glory. No. No, the rules aren't here so that we keep those rules to please God. That's law. It's true. The prospering will come. The good life will come when we follow these things because a love for God and a love of others is above all. Why will I prosper if I follow these rules? Is it because I'm following the rules and God is happy? No. It's because I am showing my supreme love for God and my love for the people around me. I don't want them to stumble. I want them to grow. Verse 21 adds another reason why this would be so. It says, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. There's Jews everywhere, he says. In all your cities, there's Jews there. And every Sabbath, what are they learning? They're learning the law. And what is it that you're wanting to do in your city? You're wanting to... So don't do anything that's going to stop you reaching them. Don't do anything that's going to offend or cause problems. Be a good testimony. Do the best you can to reach the people For jesus christ paul has another perhaps familiar passage to us in first corinthians chapter 9 verse 19 in first corinthians 9 he says for though i am free from all men i have made myself a servant to all that i might win the more and to the jews i became as a jew that i might win jews to those who are under the law as under the law that i might win those who are under the law To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you." What he is not saying there is that it doesn't matter what you do as long as the end works out. You know, it's not, it doesn't mean you can do anything to be a witness. What he's saying is don't be a stumbling block. Don't pursue things in your life which you are free to do. We have freedom to do or there's freedom to eat this meat. There's freedom to do these things. You, you have freedom, but, but don't be an idiot about it. Don't do something that you know is going to cause somebody in your life, a believer, to stumble. I saw this week, there was a, was a, a pastor in the, in the US, in I think Montana or somewhere like, like that. And he was uh, kicked out of a petrol station some time ago because he referred to the, uh, the person who was helping him, who was a trans person, by a male pronoun. So they kicked him out of the, the petrol station for that disrespect. Now, as a result, or in response to that, this pastor sued them and apparently won the court case and proclaimed then afterwards, we won, we won. Is transgenderism against God's law? Yes. Yes, it is. Did this pastor really win? I don't think so. A stumbling block has been put up between him and the people there that's what we mean by this don't be a jerk about christ to do what we need to do to reach the people with jesus christ and find true salvation this was a bold decision by the church at jerusalem you know they are finally here setting out and laying out before everyone gentiles are loved by god and accepted by him that's a big statement for the church at jerusalem How can we reach the world for Christ? Just like loving God leads us directly to love others, uh, so true worship of God leads directly to our influence of our relationships. So we want to look, one, at the glory of God in our worship, which we have done briefly. And now, finally, the glory of God in our relationships. They send a letter from verse 22 through the end, uh, of of our passage here, from Jerusalem to the Gentiles. And in here, as we, we see some lessons about the glory of God in our relationships, we see a truth here, which is to pursue the peace of God. Pursue the peace of God. That begins, I think, by taking responsibility. By taking responsibility for our place in what goes on. The letter is sent to the churches, and it doesn't just go to Antioch, they specify others. So this letter was probably taken beyond their around. So it seems that these false teachers have, have fairly quickly moved themselves out. In fact, we find them further through uh, Paul's travels. Galatians is a big issue uh, with that. But as the letter begins, there is one great word that is at the beginning of this letter which says a great deal about what's happening here between jerusalem and the gentiles so it says they wrote a letter in verse 23 the apostles the elders the brethren and it says to them to the brethren to the brethren that is a magnificent statement of peace and love the Jews, who, where this all began as a, a thing of, can they be saved or can't they be saved? Where do they fit? They write a letter to them and they say, you're family. We believe you to be family. There is much to separate these two groups of people. Yet because of Jesus, there is unity, there is love. And in seeking love and in seeking unity, they recognize their part in the problem. Say we know people from us went out to you, and they were saying things that weren't true. It wasn't our authority, but they came out from us. We recognise that caused you great distress, great turmoil of soul. So, in seeking peace, they recognise the place in problem, and Jerusalem wants reconciliation. They didn't take this lightly. Verse 28 says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. It is, they, they didn't try to seek their own benefit, their own will in this. Well, here we are, we're the Jews, and this is where it started. So this is, they, they prayed, they sought the will of God. They sought God's glory, not just in their forms of worship, but in their lives. There are good lessons here, I think, in the way they interact about building strong relationships through our differences to pursue the glory of God in in every way. Jerusalem invested in this reconciliation. So when the, the, the council was done, they came to their conclusions. They wrote their letter. They sent it back with Paul and Barnabas. But they didn't just send the letter back with Paul and Barnabas. They picked two of their best, two of their brightest leaders, And said, you go with them and you talk to the church for us and tell them, this is our heart. This is what we believe. This is what we want. They don't just send a letter, but they send it by the hand of two key people. I don't watch much uh, uh, reality TV, but I I do tend to watch the block. And the the other day there was there's rifts and there's problems in it because there's always drama, isn't it? And problems go on one of the couples who's caused the problems, decided that they were going to send some gifts to the other teams. Now, it only made problems worse because here's what happened. They, two of the people that they liked, they took the gifts to themselves. And the other two people which they didn't like, they sent it by somebody else. And what was the result? The people who got it by somebody else thought, not very genuine. Something's not right here, it's not sincere. Why? Because we want to know if somebody is making an effort in our lives to make reconciliation, we want to see they really mean it. Show up. Jerusalem did exactly that. They were not content to just send a letter and say, yep, that's what we believe. We like you. Said, no, we're going to send our people and we're going to invest here. If we want reconciliation, we need to invest ourselves in it. Show up. We give God glory when we take responsibility for our part in the difference. So take responsibility and seek a way forward. That's what this letter is about, about seeking a way forward. Everyone here desired what is good and what would glorify God. Was this solution perfect? No, it wasn't. This wasn't the perfect solution to the issue. Problems would still arise. There would still be issues along the way on this very same thing. So the solution wasn't perfect. I suspect that Paul probably wasn't very happy with it as a whole. There were things in there. That he said, "Well, we don't really even want these restrictions on inlaws. Can we just teach them and let them let them let them go?" So there's probably some suspicion I have there that it didn't sit real well with Paul, but he accepted it. Jerusalem may have wanted to add a few other points to the issue, but they didn't. They went away. But though it was not a perfect way of dealing with the problem, it was a way for all of them to express love. By coming to this point, they could all express love. We want God glorified in our relationships. There's an old saying that goes something like this. Sometimes the perfect gets, way, gets in the way of the good. They could have sat down and tried to figure out some perfect way for this to work out and nothing would have been a solution which was good, where both of them could look at it and say, in love, we will pursue this. Look for And reconcile and spread the joy of God. Seeking peace spreads joy. It may not have been the perfect solution, but it did bring joy. It tells us in verse 30 that when the letter was read, the people of Antioch were filled with joy and comfort and strength. Why? Because the Gentiles now knew they belonged. It reassured them. It comforted them that their salvation was full. Reconciliation was made. Peace was won. Love ruled in their hearts. The Gentiles, when they received the letter, didn't hold out and say, well, no, we're not going to do that. That's just more law. You said we don't have to do law. We don't want to do that. They didn't hold out and say, no, we want a better deal. They showed love and said, look, if this is going to help our brothers in Christ, we're willing to take that. We're willing to do that, to show love, to find a way forward. By receiving this, they express mutual love. God then is glorified. It tells us that when that was done, Silas and Judas, Judas, we don't know much about other than this. Silas, we will see further as we move along into chapter 16 and, and beyond. Uh, but we're told that they are prophets in Jerusalem and they stay for a while to encourage the people in the word of God. They encourage God's people in God's word, which bound them together more tightly, encouraged them and, and built them up. Salvation unifies us with God, but it also unifies us with one another. This is the beauty of the gospel. Salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone and none other. No laws, no works, no requirements. Salvation is free. I don't need to change my life for God to accept me. So I don't need to clean myself up or or get rid of things in my life so that God will say, yep, you're at a, a suitable place for me to take you in now. But when I accept Jesus, he will change my life. He will make a difference salvation comes through christ alone which leads me to live a life for the glory of god alone god is my joy god is my focus god is my goal god is my supreme love so let's give god glory in our worship So we worship him in truth and sincerity and freedom in purity Let's worship him by loving those around us. And let's give God glory in our relationships by pursuing peace and spreading joy. For the great end, the great cry of the Reformation and the great cry of all history, soli dio gloria, for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples we see and the work that you did in these groups of people, how through the glorious freedom of your salvation, you brought a bond, you brought peace, and you brought joy as these groups sought your glory and your goodness. We pray, dear God, that we would see that grow even in our own lives as we pursue to worship you in purity and joy that we would be rooting out from our lives the, the things that hinder pure worship, and that we would be looking in our lives and around our lives to see how can I worship that is going to strengthen the people around me. Lord, help us then to apply those great truths into the relationships that we have, to always seek peace, to find a way to bring joy, and goodness into the lives of those around us in all of our relationships pray these things in jesus name amen